Boy, it makes me so happy to know. I, I love that song, not only because it sounds like Duran Duran, but it also because God just doesn't change on us, that God's going to be consistently who he is, and he loves us. Hey, I don't know if you guys are into college football. College football is not like at the top of my list. It's like second on my list behind the NFL. But, you know, um, I decided to watch a game yesterday because most people can come together in college football on one thing. Somebody beat Alabama. Yeah, yeah, somebody beat Alabama. Now, I know that what that's feeling like. If you're an Alabama fan, I know, as a New England Patriot fan, I know what that was like to have people hate you just because you're a winner. But it was um, absolutely, <laughs> it was, that game was amazing. And, um, and, and when they kicked that field goal at the end, if you didn't watch the game, there's like 100 points in a football game. That's already amazing. But it comes down to a last second, last play of the game, kicking a field goal. I think it was like a, I don't know, 40-something yard field goal. But when he kicks it, it looks like your mama's meatloaf. I mean, this thing is just like, and it's just kind of like just weird, and it finally gets over, and it gets in the, and the, and the place goes crazy, and it was just amazing. I mean, the stadium, oh, like 100,000 people in there. They light off fireworks. I mean, it's like amazing environment. But you know, as we're, we're going to be uh, talking about certainty today, and we're going to be talking about coming up short, that brings us to another Tennessee team. And maybe you don't remember this scene in football history, but this is a scene where a Tennessee team came up short. Let's watch. From the 10, probably the final play of the game in regulation. Can he get in? No, he cannot. Mike Jones made the tackle. And the Rams have won the Super Bowl. No line. The game is over. The game is over. Now every Super Bowl should have an ending such as this. Down on the one-yard line, a terrific play call, trying to give Dyson an opportunity to break a tackle. Jones, the linebacker. You don't hear a lot about him. He is the guy that is able to take Dyson down before he can get to the goal line. Incredible. Just one yard. That one yard coming up short. And it turns out to be that one yard won Dick Vermeil his one and only Super Bowl as the coach of the Rams. That one yard uh, propelled Kurt Warner to become a Hall of Fame quarterback. I mean, if it wasn't for this one yard, that, that doesn't happen at all. That one yard uh, was the closest that the Titans would come to winning a Super Bowl in like since 2000. I mean, they've never, they've never been there before uh, again. And great players like Steve McNair and Eddie George we're just one yard away from becoming Super Bowl champions. But they, they came up short. And today we're going to be continuing to look about certainty and how important it is that we don't come up short on this. We don't come up short on God. 
We all got God theories. We all got God ideas. Everybody does, whether no God, yes God, many gods, whatever it may be, or I'm God, or whatever it possibly can be. But we got to make sure that we don't come up short on the issue of God. And we need to make sure that we don't come up short on our confidence in God. So Luke, as we're going through that gospel, tells us of an episode of Jesus's life. Most of the time when you read a story out of the Bible, you, you hear the story, you get to the end, and, and everybody's like, oh, that was a really cool story. Sometimes we don't look at all that it took for the story to come together. I mean, like all the, the parts that were necessary, the events that had to go together in order to arrive at this particular thing. Because it's, it's really easy for this story to come up short. Um, if, if the people that are involved in this story are not certain about the outcome, certain about what they expect from Jesus, this story can end in a couple different ways. And we're going to use this kind of as an allegory about maybe where we're coming up short personally in our relationship with God. So let me read to you from Luke's account. One day, Jesus was teaching, and there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who came who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. And some men were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed. They were trying to bring him in and to set him down in front of Jesus. But not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went on the roof and let him down through the tiles with his stretcher, into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But Jesus, aware of their reasoning, answered and said to them, why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins have been forgiven you, or to say, get up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on the earth to forgive sins, Jesus says to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, and pick up your stretcher and go home. And immediately he got up before them and picked up what he was lying on and went home glorifying God. They were all struck with astonishment and began glorifying God. And they were filled with fear saying, we have seen remarkable things today. What a great story. I mean, just visualizing it in your head, what's going on in the story. It's, it's, it's kind of like the story you want to read out of the Bible. I mean, it's, it's like amazing. You know, if you're ever watching an episode of something like Lord of the Rings right now, they got that series on Amazon you kind of hope that the next episode is going to be this. And, and I saw the finale this week, and it's, it's amazing, so I won't ruin it for you. Or maybe you're watching Star Wars. You're watching Andor or The Mandalorian or Boba Fett. You kind of hope you get the, an episode that's, like, worthy of the story. Well, we have one of those stories. This is, like, awesome. This is, like, Jesus, I mean, amazing kind of story. But, you know... There are a lot of things that could have happened that the desired outcome does not happen unless certainty is involved. I mean, just think about how this story could have gone in a different way. First of all, this guy could have woken up that morning, though he was paralytic, not having friends 
who are certain about Jesus and are willing to carry him to Jesus. So that would have changed the whole story. We wouldn't, even, we wouldn't have the story if he didn't have friends that were certain about Jesus and then willing to pick him up and to carry him. How about if uh, uh, the friends didn't have enough courage to push through the crowd? You know, what if they all of a sudden saw the house was surrounded by people and there's a bunch of people? And if you're like me, I expect everybody to wait in line, you know, and you get a little in indignant when somebody at Disney World cuts in to the, you know, Rise of the Resistance ride and you've been waiting there all morning for that and they cut in in front of you and you want to say, I'm, I'm being hypothetical here. It didn't happen, but then you get ugly because they cut in line. Well, they could have been very compliant people and decided, oh, dude, dude, you know, we were going to bring you to see Jesus, but there's a crowd. You know, we should have got it in here earlier. But something about this, they push through the crowd. But what if they didn't push through the crowd? What if they didn't have the courage and the tenacity to do it? How about if they didn't have the tenacity to remove the roof? I mean, first of all, they're not invited, and it's not their house. And they got it, so they climb up somehow, and then they, they pull this guy up on the stretcher and haul him up with rope and, and all that. But then they, they figure out what house he's in and they dismantle the, the roof, the thatch roof there, the clay roof, whatever it is. And they put it aside. It's like, what if their friends had bailed out at that point? It's like, dude, yeah, yeah I'm not doing that. Or, or, or what if, what if they, they move the roof and they're lowering him down and, uh, and as they're lowering him down, all of a sudden they're like, they're like, uh, uh. And they don't have enough rope, you know? And, and Jesus is like, okay, guys, lower them down. And they're like, yeah, we, we don't have enough rope. You know, what if they have no way to lower him down into that particular location? They must have brought rope enough for this task to lower this man down. See, there are many ways that this story comes up short and doesn't end right if people are not moving with certainty about Jesus. See, all this, Jesus is sitting there teaching and there's all this potential energy going on. You know, he's got all this and it's gone kinetic. He's, he's healing people and all this other stuff. So it's not like Jesus has to change. It's not like Jesus has to be proven or anything like that. Jesus is healing. He's doing, we're told that the spirit of God was upon him to perform miracles. So I love it. Why mention that if he is the son of God? It is because he wanted, they wanted us to know that the ingredient that's not lacking in this is not Jesus. It's not power. It's the, it could be the possibility of the lack of certainty to move towards Jesus and what you're willing to go through to get there. That's the only element that's in question in the whole story. So today we're going to take a look at this and see, see if the story has some areas in it that, uh, as an allegory, that um, no matter how true it is about God, that where maybe we're coming up short with Jesus, where we're coming up short with God. Uh, it, it, nobody's disproving Jesus. Nobody's disproving God. I'm just telling you this. There's no new evidence or anything to disprove the existence of God. There's no science that proves God doesn't exist. That's not, that's not it. Then why does, why does Jesus go untapped? I mean, seriously, if, if we got this raw potential kinetic energy being known as Jesus, person, second person of the Trinity, God among us, Emmanuel, 
Why does it, why does it just seem to, you know, people don't go further with this? Why is it that we come up short? We, you know, almost, but we're just not quite there. And I don't think it's because of the lack of the truthfulness of the story or God or the lack of the truthfulness of the Gospels. So I pulled out a couple that I thought for my own life and, and then maybe for um, your life. Maybe we're not doing life with other people of faith who can carry us in our weak moments. I mean, we all have weak moments. Who carries you in that moment? When you're down, you're out, you just, you know, you're kind of paralyzed in your moment. Your marriage, your illness, uh, your financial situation, your crisis, that we, we really need somebody to carry me there, you know? We need somebody to walk up to us and speak a word of encouragement, to pray for us, to, to bring us before God. Do you have people like that in your life that are able to do that? I mean, when you, when you get a story in your life about your husband, who do you get to carry the story about your husband with you? Because it's easy to find other ladies. There's easy to find other ladies who will bash your husband with you, okay? I mean, I would be willing to say nine out of 10 women stand ready at the ready, sir. I stand at the ready to bash your husband with you. You know, I'm willing to bet there is a crowd of ladies just, I can tell you that there's a bunch of men ready to drink beer right alongside your husband and tell, you, tell your husband how underappreciated he is. You know, and, and I'm telling you, you can surround yourself with that crowd. We can get all the Democrats together and, and we could have a convention and all the Democrats can tell us how rotten the Republicans are. And then we can put the Republicans all together in a crowd and tell you how bad the Democrats are. So let me ask you this, who, who when, when your story goes dark, when your hard times come, when your doubt, and it happens, when your doubt comes, who have you surrounded yourself with? Have you surrounded yourself with people who'll be like, dude, we got you. You know, we got you. It's, I know it's a tough moment. I, and, and I am so blessed. The reason why I have not less, left Crosstown, I gotta make sure this is right. It's partly right. Uh, it's totally true, but it's only partly right. Meaning there's probably more things why I stay across town more than this, but this thing is particularly true. Is that I see the hell that other pastors go through getting voted out, kicked out. Uh, it, when, uh, the pastor makes a mistake, they hang him from, the, from, the, from a rope someplace. And it's like, when I've had crisis of faith, you people have walked with me through that. When I was overcome with back pain and for three years battled with depression and wanted to die, you people carried me. You weren't like, well, you know, he's 63 after all, and his hair is not as thick as it used to be, you know? And it's like, you didn't take me out. It's like, you carry, people wanna be around people who will carry them in their times of weakness. That's what church is supposed to be. We're not supposed to shoot our, our, our broken. We're not supposed to uh, kill our wounded. We're not supposed to, because somebody compromises, it doesn't mean, well, you know, we give up on them. So let me just ask you, if you're certain about Jesus, you should start getting certain about your friends. Because if your friends aren't the certain kind of friends that carry you to Jesus, then you may find yourself lying alone. The writer of Ecclesiastes says it this way, Better are two than one, 
because they have a good return for their, month, for their labor. For if one of them falls, the one will pick up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. My goodness, what a terrible place to be. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. Being certain about Jesus means um, that you become certain about your friends and you have friends that are certain about Jesus also. Because I don't need to search the web. I don't need to get the opinion of the, my buddies down at the VFW about my wife. I need to be surrounded by men and women of, or men of God that will strengthen me, speak into me, challenge me, and at times carry me. So let me encourage you to, to look at in this, do you have anybody that would carry you? Because you may find out you don't. See, we don't do small groups because I am such a loser, I have nothing else to do on Wednesday night. I have other things to do on Wednesday night. I have not watched The Clone Wars all the way through, okay? I could watch seven seasons of The Clone Wars from now until my death every Wednesday and not have seen them all, okay? It's not because I'm a, I just, you know, have nothing else to do, but it's like when you're around men and women of God that, that are certain about God, and you're certain they're certain about God, they help carry you sometimes. Amen. You know, let me ask you to raise your hand if you've ever been carried by somebody else's faith. I know I have. Yeah, I pity the person who falls in faith alone. It's a dark, that makes darkness what they call, what Jesus called the shadow of darkness. I didn't know dark could cast a shadow. But being alone in pain, in misery, in divorce, or whatever it may be, is only amplified by being there without friends who know Christ. So then the other thing that could have stopped them, and maybe it's stopping us, Maybe we're not willing to push through the crowd. Maybe that's us. Maybe we go with Jesus as long as the crowd is going with Jesus. We go as far as culturally acceptable with Jesus. We only go as far as we can. We don't want to appear as extremists or weirdos in our culture. So if our culture says it's okay, then we go that far. Now, about six weeks ago, I, you know, every one of us, I hope everybody here votes which means that you probably vote on a particular persuasion. And I love our church because we're neither uh, fully Republican or fully Democrat. We're, we're a really good blend of people, which is awesome because we don't make that the test of whether or not you're a Christian. And so we got everybody. So, so about six weeks ago, I exposed one of the guys on my aisle, side of the aisle, you know, who had used scripture improperly. And I publicly said, that's wrong. Even if it is my guy, that's wrong and that's unacceptable. Well, let me just, on this issue of extremism, let me just kind of go on, talk to the other side just for a second. Uh, and this is just, a, just an observation. The White House pre uh, press secretary came out in September, and this is, you can Google this and get it all, uh, when the, she was asked about extremists in our country, she, 
and what an extremist is, she responded this way. When you are not with where a majority of Americans are, then, well, you know, you're an extremist. The majority of Americans, when, when you are on in the 49 instead of the 51, you now become an extremist? You know, that's dangerous, okay? That's, no matter who's saying it. I mean, I don't care if it's Republican or Democrats or, or, or Christians or Buddhists or atheists, but we need to realize that what we believe is extreme. We do believe Jesus died on the cross and rose on the third day. And if you're waiting for the crowd to get along on that, then you'll never make, you'll never move forward with Jesus and you'll always come up short. You know, it's funny, we were all sure about sexuality 15 years ago. We were all sure. We knew what a girl was, we knew what a boy was. And now we're not sure. Is it because somebody presented you with empirical data from science? I mean, after all, if you're an evolutionist, or, and I don't have any problem with evolution, I mean, uh, uh, male-female has been working for about 13 million years. And now all of a sudden, we're in a culture in the last five years where most of us have been talked out whether or not there's a male or a female. Why? Because you all of a sudden went to the periodicals of science and looked at chromosome research and all this other stuff? No, because culture said, if you believe that gender isn't fluid, you're extreme. And what are we doing? Sure, don't want to push against the crowd. We don't want to lose what I call our get along. You got to say it with a Southern accent. You gotta say, I don't wanna lose my get along. And I'm telling you what, if these guys had not been willing to push through the crowd, that was like, hey, where are you going with that guy? Come on, man, back off. We've been waiting here. And they're just pushing, they're pushing, excuse me, sir, excuse me, sir. And they're pushing and pushing, you know, and, and I'm willing to bet that guy lying there is, don't give up, don't give up, don't give up. And they're pushing and they're pushing and they're pushing. Along. But you know what, if they weren't willing to get along, to willing to lose their get along, that guy never gets healed. And for some of us, we want Jesus, but we want our get along with everything else. There's this, Jesus heals a guy who had been sick and he'd been sick for 38 years. Okay, that's a long time to be sick. Um, and because of the size of the crowd, when the guy interacts with Jesus for the first time when he was healed, he didn't really get to know Jesus. He just experienced Jesus. All of a sudden, the crowd's moving, stuff like that. The guy's on a mat, and then Jesus says, you want to be healed? The guy's, yes. The guy, Jesus lays hands on it. The guy gets healed. Jesus gets pushed and moved along. But then Jesus has an encounter with this guy afterwards. It's really awkward. It's always bothered me because Jesus seems really rude in this. And I'm like, why is he talking to this guy this way? I mean, you just healed him. Afterwards, Jesus found him, in John 5, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, behold, you've become well. He's like, oh, okay. You know, I got something to give. I gave it to you. You're looking good. You're walking around. Then Jesus says to him, do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. It's like, dang. It's like Jesus is like knocking off. 
something worse is going to happen to you. That's really strong. And I'm like, why was this in the Bible? And what is it that the guy did? So I'm, I'm looking at the story. That after Jesus talks to the man that he's already healed, and Jesus has now kind of identified himself to the man, the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. See, the Jews earlier had questioned about who made you well on the Sabbath? And the, and the man said, I don't know. Well, now the man finds out who Jesus is. And what's the first thing he does? He runs his butt back to the Jews. I know who it is. I know who it is. Oh, thank you. You're a good citizen. You get to keep your get along because you came and you told us who Jesus is. And Jesus is like, dude, you better, you got to be willing to lose your get along if you're going to get along with who needs to be gotten along with. But this guy wasn't willing to do it. I want my healing, Jesus. I want, give me a bigger bank account, Jesus. Help me buy the house, Jesus. Lower the interest rate, Jesus. But I don't want the, the Jesus that makes me confront culture. You're gonna have culture in Jesus too. I'm telling you, if you believe that, I need you to give me, you need to show me in the Bible where that, where the prophets aren't killed, where the son of man isn't killed. You need to show me the get along of the gospel. The gospel is extreme, folks. It's extreme. If you got new data to show me otherwise, let me know. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing this, these things on the Sabbath. He stirred up the crowd against Jesus. Okay, the other thing. Let's see, from using this as a metaphor, this story. Maybe we're not willing to break through old thinking that keeps us from Jesus. See, they were willing to dismantle the barrier between them and Jesus. Jesus is right there, okay? But there's a barrier between them and Jesus. See, for some of us, we have a worldview, an idea, a concept. We think we know everything. I mean, we really do. Sometimes they're like old dogs that cannot be taught new tricks. We are unwilling to learn. We will only believe in Jesus as long as that concept of Jesus is in agreement with what we already believe. I call that parallel thinking. We will believe in Jesus as long as what we think and he thinks is okay. But the moment it becomes perpendicular, we bail out on Jesus. You know, we get to that point where, okay, well, no, that's not my, it affects my politics, it affects how I treat my wife, it, it affects who I'm willing to forgive, it forgives, it challenges everything. And at that point, we bail out. And, and you know, these guys were up there looking at this, it's like, dude, we're, we're, we got this roof. My point would, would have been, if I was there, I'm like, hey guys, we're already, we're already out there. We're already on the roof. We might as well take it apart. I mean, we're already breaking the law. Might as well go all the way. I will tell you this. Jesus doesn't meet you halfway. He doesn't meet you halfway. He's already done his 100%. He's now asking you to pick up your cross and to follow him. I wish it was easier. I wish you could keep your get along. You know, it's, it's just not there. 
Paul said this, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing your mind so that you will prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. The word of God being transformed in the way that you think. These guys were willing to have their, their thatch or clay roof remove it for the sake of getting a better view of Jesus. The old status quo patterns of thought wouldn't work. They only got in the way. A third thing, or, or fourth thing, I don't know what number I'm on. Um, I should number these things, but it would be this. I'm just not that organized. Our certainty in faith doesn't reach. I mean, it really would be crazy if all of a sudden they did all this work and they got a view of Jesus, there he is. Dude, we got you so close. We're there and all of a sudden they let him down and they, they don't have enough rope to get there. See, I, I think you could almost use it like the length of their rope was an expression of their certainty. The more certain you are, the more rope you have to work with. The more faith you have to work with, the more certain you are. This is why Jesus makes statements like this. He says, your faith ha has saved you. It's like your reach into me has saved you. Now we know, and let me just say, we know that we are not saved by our own works, our own power of believing. Let me even say this. The concept of faith doesn't save anyone because you could have faith in anything. Um, you could deploy your faith in, in um, a person. You can deploy your faith in a political party. You can deploy your faith in a company that you work for or, or somebody that you marry or, I mean, you can, in the story of Lord of the Rings or maybe you believe in Star Wars or, or and, and a lot of people think, well, you can believe in anything as long as you believe in God. It doesn't matter if you're a Buddhist. Or it doesn't matter if you're, you're you know, Islamic or, or Jewish or it doesn't matter as long as, as long as you believe. And we have t-shirts about believing. What we fail to do is have t-shirts about the object of the belief. That's the saving. It's the object of the belief. It's not the, the mechanism of the human mind to imagine and to move because we can imagine and move in lust, in greed, in covetousness, in jealousy, and in anger. We have this mechanism that we can use in a lot of different ways. It's the object of the faith that saves the person. And so when they open up the, the thing and they lower the man in there, he makes a statement about your faith has saved you. It's like, you have picked the right object. Because so I will tell you this, if you're up there on the roof, a lot of people have been shoving you around. You know, these roofs are conjoined together in a village kind of way. And if all of a sudden you open up Miss Kowalski's house roof, you got kind of a little confused on the roof and you all of a sudden, this little apartment has Jesus in it. The one right next to it has Mrs. Kowalski in it. And uh, you pop up that thatch roof and you lower it down in front of Miss Kowalski. You just got a paralyzed man shocking the heck out of a woman. Nothing happens. But we push through the crowd. But we went up on the roof. But we missed roof. You're telling me we did all this work and this guy doesn't get healed? Yes, because you lowered, her in, lowered him in front of the wrong object. It's the object of our faith that saves us, and that's Jesus. So, if the object of your faith is your own truth, 
You are lowering your rope to something that can't save you. It can't save you. Well, I'm lowering my, I'm just a good person. I just believe God just, we're just a good person. You lower your rope in front of your good person. You know, first of all, you're gonna find out nobody's a good person. And also you're gonna find out that good person can't save you, especially if it's you. So what does it look like? What is the saving reach of the rope? It's this, Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that, Christ, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus. That is the faith that saves right there. Let me clarify. Confidence in yourself? Oh, that's good. That's good. I pull my shoulders back when I walk into a store or when I walk into the gym, I suck in my gut, you know, pull it in, try to push those out. I don't know if I, yeah, I still have those. And then it's like, you know, I, I, confidence is good. We got a lot, of, lot being written on Instagram, a lot of nice little posters and t-shirts about your confidence. Personal dignity is great, awesome. I believe in personal dignity. We derive it from the imagery of God in us. Awesome, everybody should have personal dignity. Valuing yourself is absolutely awesome. But believing in yourself is a rope that does not reach far enough. Being your own truth is having faith in an object that cannot save. And God wants all of your heart. You just, he doesn't like, hey, okay, I'll meet you. I'll meet you that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, but the resurrection, I'm gonna have a, I'm just gonna have a problem. We're not gonna go that far. It's like, sorry. You know, it's, it's, it's gonna take your whole heart. I'm gonna, I'm gonna need you to, to die to self, to pick up your cross, and to follow me. It's like, what? You want the whole rope? I want the whole rope. That's not popular, is it? I know, I, I can see your faces. It's like, dang. I liked a little of America. I liked a little bit of Jesus. I like I wish I knew the words to that song. Um, I, we like a little bit of everything, but Jesus wants it all. That's the gospel. Some of us, we pull back instead of waiting and trusting on Jesus. Some of us will lower the rope, and, and this is particularly where we want to get to today, is we, then we lower the rope, we want Jesus to help us on certain things, but then we pull certain things back up, like shame, like resentment, um, unforgiveness. And for some reason, for some of us, we lower that, but we just don't think God can forgive us. Uh, we shrink back, as the writer of Hebrews says, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. You see, this story is a really cool story. It's awesome. It's got cool friends. It's got a guy who really needs help. It's got Jesus. It's got the power of God. It's got healing. And, 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 and a lot of you would walk away and say, see, this boosters my faith in healing. And if you open your Bible... Today, you look out there, some commentator says about this story, in the little margin will say, and Jesus heals the paralytic. That's not what this story is about. 
Jesus tells us this is not about the certainty of healing. This is about the certainty of forgiveness. So where do you get that from? Jesus tells them, so that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on the earth to forgive sins. He turns and says to the paralytic man, I say to you, get up, pick up your stretcher, and go home. He's like, listen, God wants us. The one thing you got to leave here today being certain about is new life, forgiveness. Oh, sure, there's a lot of stuff I want Jesus to fix in my life, and I pray about it because you're, you're told to pray about the things that bother you. Nothing wrong with that at all. And, and, and there are things I want Jesus to fix. I want him to fix my body, my budget, my bliss. I don't know if I'm doing that accent on purpose or am I Southern? Has it happened to me? Am I no longer a Bostonian? Is it possible, dear Lord, that I have? No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> no, I hate to say it. You just can't get it. But, but here's the thing. I want my body, my budget, my bliss fixed. I'd like to be able to feel a little bit better. I'd like to feel, uh, my, I want to have enough money. And I, I want a buzz. You know what I mean by a buzz? We all got our own ways of buzzing. You can get a buzz on the Peloton. You can get a buzz in a bottle. You get a buzz uh, from a joint. You can get a buzz from a pay raise. You can get a buzz from a new house. You can get a buzz just from a buddy. You can get a buzz at all kinds of places. And I want Jesus to fix that. And Jesus is in this story is like, listen, I need you guys to know what I am fixing down here on planet Earth is not your budget, not your body, and, and, not, your, and, and, and not your bliss. We'll get to those, which is great. God really does, is interested. But I'm here to fix your heart, your soul, and your destiny. And Jesus says, so that all of you on this little room with this guy down, he goes, listen, so that all of you will know that I have the power to give new life, to forgive people from their adulteries, their shame, their compromises, their lying, their cheating, whatever they've done wrong, so that you know that I can do that, the most certain thing you need to have in your life. It's like, oh, well, let me see. Okay, dude, get up and walk. I'm gonna use you as a proof that I can give people new hearts. Are you certain about that? Some of you are walking around with so much shame. You don't believe you're forgiven. You don't believe that you're a new person in Christ. You know it's time for us to go all the way on this. You need to no longer, like David said, why so downcast, O oh my soul? Put your trust in God, who is the glory and the lifter of my head. See, that's when confidence saves. That's when value is affirmed. That's when strength is given, that I know I am forgiven. That's why I'm up here. I am not the best communicator, I am not the best theologian, and I'm best, definitely not the best pastor, not even in this church. But I will tell you this. There are, there, I'll match just about anybody believing God for forgiveness. I'm a little weak on healing, but I believe in the forgiveness of God like nobody's business. You can't keep me down when it comes to confidence that I am a new creation in Christ, old things have passed away and everything's becoming new. I remember when I was in the military, I, uh, 
it was my job. I was on a ship and, and I had gotten saved. So I became really like preacher Paul is what they called me. It's so funny. Before I got saved, I was a guy dealing dope to everybody at my last duty station. Then I get saved. God transfers me to, the, to a ship Charleston, uh, stationed here in Charleston. So we go out. So now everybody knows me as preacher Paul. And I just always giggled about it, that they have no idea what I've done. And uh, not that I was embarrassed by it, but they just thought I was, you know, kind of like invincible or something like that. So, so we were out and we pulled into port in a city. And it was my job to kind of, I was always the designated guy to make sure that the guys could drink and get home okay, get back to the ship. Because when you're in the Navy, when you pull into a port, I don't care if it's American or not, it's the Navy versus civilians. Because civilians were notorious back then for taking advantage of Navy guys. Uh, some cities in the United States, we were not allowed to wear a uniform like New York because everybody would know that we could rip off these sailors. So we pulled into the city. My job was to be the designated driver type of person. Um, and uh, so uh, I didn't do so well. Turned out I drank a little bit too much. Uh, drank way too much. Matter of fact, they had to take care of me. And uh, I started a fight and cold cocked the guy in the side of the head. So, um, you know, Preacher Paul wasn't looking real good this day, you know? So they dragged me back to the hotel room. And uh, there's about like eight, 10 guys. We're all bunking in the same hotel room. And I'm just wasted. And they're all just laughing and all this other stuff. And, um, so, and I think I've got this timing right. The following morning, I get up before anybody else, because everybody's hungover. I got up, grabbed my King James Bible, and I went out on the deck, on the balcony, and I got down. I remember getting down on one knee, and I just said, Jesus, I am so sorry. And I, I opened up to First John. If we say that we have no sin, we're liars, because we all do. But if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us for all, all our transgressions. And, and I read that and I said, Lord God, forgive me for what I've done wrong. I am so sorry, but I know through Jesus Christ, you have forgiven me for what I have done wrong. And I stand up and walk in that newness of life. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, now I walked back in there and when they all started walking up, waking up, they're like, dude, you were so hammered yesterday when you called cock that guy. And he's like, yeah. and I'm like, yes, yes. In that room, I was getting ribbed. But between me and God, there was healing. And there was total forgiveness, total forgiveness. Did I screw up? Absolutely. Was, did I have to pay the piper over here? Absolutely. They were going to rib me. And from that point on, I don't think they ever called me Preacher Paul again. That night, we were supposed to go out and, uh, you know, enjoy the town again. And I would have done a better job. No, I, I would have. I would have done a better job. Um, but it rained. So I went out on the balcony while the guys were drinking a few beers in the hotel room. And I went out on the balcony and all of a sudden a guy comes out, he shuts the door behind him and he says, hey dude, can I talk to you? And I'm like, yeah. He said, uh, I want what you got. And I'm thinking, I just had my biggest failure in front of everybody. And I said, what? And he's like, yeah. Um, uh, I was awake when you were praying on the balcony that, this morning and I heard you praying to God and then I see how you're walking around here without your head down. I want that. I want that. And I led him to the Lord right there on the balcony because I had certainty about one thing. 
Forget the forgiveness is real. It's real. Do you know that some of those guys listen online every Sunday? I mean, that was like 40 years ago. Because of that night, they were like, okay, he's not a preacher. He's a believer. He's a child of God. And they, they're like, okay, we saw him screw up and we saw him work in forgiveness. Some of you are walking around. We don't care if you're the culprit. We don't care here at Crosstown if you're the cheater. Sure, Christianity is wide open for the victim. And we're open for the victim here too. The culprit's got to go somewhere though. You know, I'm the culprit. I'm, I'm preacher culprit. Um, Paul said that he was the chief of all sinners. It's like, you don't need to come up short on the forgiveness of God. Let your heart go all the way down. So you did things that were wrong. So you have inclinations towards things that are wrong. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, to me. It's that good. It is that true. But you have got to let your rope go all the way down. Say, yeah, but I mess up all the time. Let me just tell you this. That when you let the rope down, and it comes down, see right here, Jesus doesn't know, well, I'm, I'm being hypothetical here. Jesus doesn't know who it is yet, but we know he knows who it is. But when it comes down, all of a sudden it comes down, and it comes down, and it's like, oh, it's Paul again. God doesn't go, oh, you again, huh? Getting drunk, getting hammered, acting like an idiot. Pull him up. No, I will tell you this. If you lower your heart before God, I don't care how many times you've done it wrong. I don't care how many mistakes you've made. I don't care the, 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 how visceral your mistake was. Jesus will never go, oh, it's you. Jesus will always, when he sees your face, just give you his best love, his best forgiveness. Every single time, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. And it's time for us to start walking around. Hey, you know, today's been a good day and we, had, we have a cool church here. This is a, this is a really good church. I'm gonna be honest with you, it hasn't always been a good church. I mean, I'm glad you weren't here 20 years ago. Um, only because I wasn't that good either. Um, but that's okay. But here's the thing. We do a really good job of carrying you and presenting you the goodness and the faithfulness of God. Worship, Ricky and the worship team, every Sunday, what we're doing is we're trying to pick you up and we begin the procession of carrying you to Jesus. And we work hard and faithfully out of genuine good hearts recreated by God to bring you to Jesus. We do an amazing job here. Apologetics, systematic theology, philosophy, understanding current sciences and how they conflict with faith or how they don't conflict with faith. We, we can dismantle every thatch roof you experience. And we, by welcoming the Holy Spirit of God and preaching the Word of God, we can lower you right down to Jesus' level. 
But Jesus turns to the man and says, get up and walk. His friends have done as much as the friends can do. The church has done as much as the church can do. There's a point when you have got to have confidence to swing your legs off of the bed of shame, guilt, and get up and walk. It's your time to be certain that God loves you, that God forgives you, and that God wants to give you a good life, a good life. Father, thank you so much. And you have already extended the rope of heaven. Now it is our time to meet you. It's time for us to take a very short walk. We don't have to dismantle a roof here today. We will be presented with bread and a cup. The object of our faith is here. Jesus Christ is here. And he is here with the power of God to forgive and to heal. It's our time now to push through the crowd. It's our time now to remove the arguments or the old way of thinking, the thatch roof. It's our time now to fully extend our hearts and to present them to you. It is our time now to not take the stretcher back. Father, today is our time to be fully confident that you love us and forgive us. The greatest work that will affect our future, our value, and our destiny. We may have a little hobble in our body, a little lack in our budget, and a little bit of depression in our bliss. I would rather walk with that knowing that I am forgiven, that I am a child of the living God, that my destiny awaits with you, and that even now, abundant life begins to be given to me. So today, we push through the crowd and receive Jesus.